Hello everybody and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford and uh, this broadcast is emanating from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And it's a privilege to be able to speak to all of my church congregation here in Dallas, as well as to our extended congregational members in so many different places and to our Saints Network family. God bless all of you. Just as a point of announcement uh, for today, Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023, tonight or this evening at 6 o'clock, my congregation is going to be gathering here to pray on this first Wednesday of August. And we're doing this because we're girding ourselves up for the strategies of the Lord pertaining to the things that are going to be presented before us in ministry in these next few months, not the least of which is the seminar which is going to be hosted here in September. But beyond that, many other opportunities of ministry. We're also believing that God is um, <clears throat> going to be releasing his provision. We're believing that God is going to break this cycle of heat. Uh, it's, it's a battle. It, it, this this uh, heightened temperature, everybody can, in the media can post this to incandescent light bulbs, which are now illegal to purchase, if you can believe that. Bad news for West Virginia. <laughs> I always remember when I would, as a little boy, go to visit my grandparents and uh, there was one light bulb hanging from a cord in the center of, uh, I guess, the living room, which was basically just about the everything room. And I, I hated that. Oh my goodness, I hated that. It just, it just was like an interrogation. But anyway, those bulbs are illegal. Some people think that this heat is is a result of global warming or whatever, but I know, and you know, that um, high pressure, rain, lack of rain, heat, has always been a factor, biblically, that the enemy tries to use. That's how Baal, Dagon, uh, and the other derivatives of the ites that characterize the same demonic being, being that's how they controlled their populace, was with the heat and the rain, uh, or lack thereof. Um, here, in, here in the Southwest, I mean, here in Dallas particularly, there are legends of what they call the Thunder God. And, um, you know, so we know that the enemy tries to use that. I believe that when God says that he would turn the desert into a, a watered plain, um, he would turn the, the dry place into a fruitful garden, that there's spiritual warfare involved in there. And so that long and short is that we know that we're in a cycle right now that's highly contested. As I prayed about it, I, I didn't sleep much last night. Believing God for breakthrough, it's just... It's like a grappling. It reminds me of when the scripture speaks about Isaiah or, or Elijah, Elijah breaking 
the drought at the commandment of the Lord? Why didn't he just stand up and declare, okay, God says that this three and a half years of drought that are in existence because he told me back then to prophesy it and it happened. And so I'm just declaring and decreeing right now that this breaks. No, it says that he got on his face, he put his head to the ground and sent his servant, go and look. I don't see anything. Go look. I see cloud the size of a man's hand. You know, it was it was not a negotiation, but it was an insistence in authority. And so we've seen God move dynamically in breaking such patterns around the world. So it's not an issue of whether God does it or whether he's done it in conjunction with the ministry and the authority he's given here. This is this is a contesting. I'm not afraid of it. We're not, we're not dried up alongside the road by any sense, but it's time for in this month of August, this eighth month in the Julian calendar, for there to be a breakthrough. And the enemy is not going to utilize strategy against us. We're we're going to see God release his strategy. And so all that being said, we're just going to come and pray. We're going to pray in diversities of tongues. We're going to speak the mysteries of the Lord to our Father. We're going to see what God will do. And so if you want to join us in prayer, that's great. But my congregation coming tonight at 6 o'clock. Now, I know that God's been speaking a lot of wonderful insights to us from the Scripture. And um, as I was contemplating what he might want us to share today on this Bible study, the one passage that I kept being directed to is a very familiar one. It's in Isaiah 53, verse 5. We, we who grew up in churches, who sang hymns, know this. This was a chorus that we would sing during communion. He was wounded for our transgressions. You know the song. The scripture says he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Faith movement echoed what Peter did in quoting this and Isaiah 53, 5 says, with his stripes we are healed and first peter says by his stripes we were healed and david engels sang a song first peter 2:24 says we were and if we were then i am that's great that's that's wonderful but today i want to look at these four measures of what Jesus did for us, and we just want to consider them. The first is, he was wounded for our transgressions. Wounded. You look it up, it's halal. Now this word halal, we have studied a lot about, we have preached about it, we have written about it, we've talked about how Lucifer is a halal and the light bearer twisted himself away from what God wanted and you know 
we, we've talked about these factors with the various forms of halal. And let's just talk for a moment. I'm not going to adjust definitions here. I don't think that's necessary. But um, as, as I've studied about this in greater detail, I find that um, the root halal in the scripture covers a, a, a wide variety of meanings. And um, they, the scholars of biblical Hebrew over the centuries initially said that halal had two separate roots each with their own group of meanings, and it was the same Hebrew word. Then, several several decades, many decades later, scholars identified that halal had basically, that root had three indistinguishable um, veins of understanding. And so we, we know them to some degree. Halal speaks about lamps and shining and light. This is where you get Leviathan flashing forth. You get Lucifer and you see the shining one, Halal. We've preached on that. I'm not going to reteach that today. A second identical verb means to be boastful or to praise, um, to convey ourselves in a way that enunciates the wonder of the Lord. Um, there are variations of this that speak about rejoicing and having a container for praise that would be similar to what you would hold gold and silver in. Um, it, it, a variation of it is a means of thanksgiving, honoring what God has done in his divine acts. Then you have another variation of this that speaks about being insane. Remember that? David went to Gath. We've studied this as well. And it really means to act out something and to, to do it with very uh, Oscar-worthy uh, measures of depiction, a madness, as it were. Um... And and then you you study that these the three separate variations of halal, which are from the same word, um, speak about basically any way that you exhibit a response to what God would say. You know, halal basically means a letting go of your restraints and your inhibitions, uh, entirely depending on what your heart is wanting to depict in the presence of God, to surrender control to God. And um, I think that's a holy expression of devotion. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, even though halal is an Old Testament word, uh, warns us in so many ways to control what our express to control in the minds of the public, in the in the view of the public, 
You can get in trouble with this. Not casting, as Jesus said, our pearls before swine. Um, you know, you have on the day of Pentecost an outpouring of the Spirit, people saying that they're drunk. You know, the Apostle Paul said, when somebody that's a non-believer come in and you're moving in the things of the Spirit, you, you, better, you better bring that into a measure of releasing what the Spirit is really saying or else the people will think you're insane or a barbarian. Isn't that interesting? Now, Pentecostals, in their denominational form, whether they call it a movement or whatever, have recognized this, but instead of doing what should be done spiritually, they have just eliminated the expression. Oh, don't do that now. What will the visitors think? And, you know, it's a fine line to to gauge what God's Spirit is doing to not snuff out how people are responding to the Lord but through that to glean something that you can release into people. I remember not to bring up a bad topic but one time the movement that we were in sent somebody to investigate us and this person was so die in the wool old Pentecost um, that when I, not some vagabond down in the altar area, but when I as the pastor during a time of worship was singing in the spirit, he reported to the district that I was chanting. Well, that's bizarre. What world did that dude grow up in? How long had it been since a true visitation of the Spirit had taken somebody into an halal where they basically were uninhibited in their expressions before the Lord. And I was reading a book um, recently about miracles. And I think, if I remember right, it was written by some guy named Newberg. Don't ask me for, for a biographical depiction of this book. People do that. I understand, but this book was called Miracles, God, Science, and Psychology. And they were talking about how when these kinds of things uh, happen in, in people, this was from a psychological viewpoint. They, they were in this mode where, remember we talked about how uh, some major Ivy League universities had put probes on people's skulls to monitor brain activity and then they'd have people speak in other tongues and they would see parts of the brain activated that weren't before. Well, this book talked about how that the same expressions that they could see in the brain when people were really worshiping, not just singing a liturgy, but really worshiping. How they elicited this, I don't know. Who they found to do this, I don't know. But those patterns would trigger the same brain function as somebody that had just won um, or, or had, ex uh, had been rooting for a team to win and that team won. A sense of exuberance and victory. It also spoke, cover the years of the children, um, some measures of physical pleasure. 
And so worship uh, in, in the brain, true worship would, um, would, would be a release of some form where you, you basically lost control. You say, well, how can that happen? Have you ever been to a sporting event where there are real fans there? Some of you, I know that's off your radar. You're shaking your head no. But most people have been to a ball game and their team wins a game or a World Series. People go nuts. They don't care what anybody thinks around them. And somehow that sense of fulfillment, that sense of expression of of having uh, a measure of victory that's beyond the norm, fulfillment, self, self-gratification, peaks and goes beyond what the normative expressions are. So when in the Old Testament people tried to describe that, they would take the same word, halal, whether you stripped off of Mahalil or Tahila or whatever, and, and they would break that right now into three major roots. And um, because it's hard to describe <clears throat> what's really going on in a physical body, in a physical brain, when they begin to escape when we begin to escape that restriction of society and move into something that is an expression before God or an expression of insanity, the same could be said in the New Testament of Existeme. He's beside himself. Jesus' uh, family said of him. And Paul said that of, him, of himself, Existeme. We, we, we can't give our we can't become addicted to that because if you become addicted to that then you you don't hear me now hear me you then become what paul would say a barbarian or or seen as insane um so you've got to walk that fine line where you're willing to let go when God begins to move, but then to to glean understanding of the crypto, to glean an interpretation of what's going on, and to to do that without losing the vitality of that moment of expression. Does that make sense? And this is a very difficult thing to do. It's kind of like walking a high wire in a hurricane. I mean, how do you do that? Because if you go too far one way, you lose the other. And um, it, it's very difficult to to describe what um, what it feels like to be lost in the Lord. Um, you know, David comes into town and he's dancing before the Lord, and his wife Michal, who had other issues. She mocks him, and he says, I'm going to become more undone than this. Um, you, you, know this you know these stories. I mean, I, um, 
I remember on one of our many journeys into museums, primarily in Europe, um, there was a painting of a woman who was deemed to be a saint. I can't remember what her name was because there are scads of them. Not a saint in the Saints Network, but, you know, a woman, dare I say, a, uh, a mystic. Um, and she had a, a look of exuberance on her face, you know. The, the, the artist was trying to depict how this person would glean the presence of God. Well, modern uh, art historians would say that this was some kind of a somewhat of a naughty expression. You know, I remember years and years ago when we had see, you deal with this when you go out in, in ministry but we had some women who were here who were who would come for counsel not just with me we, we didn't counsel these people on their own because you, when, when you're dealing with this kind of thing, you better have other people around because uh, the mind is a terrible thing. It's at enmity with the things of the Lord. But anyway, these women had said that they were, um, they were married to Jesus and they, they had experiences in him that were similar to what a normal husband and wife would have. And, uh, you know, in some ways, it, what I'm studying about these psychological pursuits, I can see how in the brain, those measures of fulfillment are from a sports activity, from some great victory to some uh, expression before the Lord, or some measure of physical fulfillment. Those same sequences in the brain are triggered. So I can see how somebody that lacked real understanding could go off, and then the enemy plays with that. See, the enemy deceives people because with a lack of understanding, they don't, they don't really grasp what's happening in themselves. And then some pastor down at first whatever church says, well, I don't want any of that in my church. You know, that is the unstable. And what would, what would the big tithers think? We want to be respectable. So we'll sing about things that happened to people 200 years ago in this way. And we will vicariously take their experience when we stand on the chorus. But we don't want any of that going on in our church. I understand that. Because it's kind of like trying to control a fire. It's, it's, a, it's a weird scenario to be in. You know, I've been studying a lot about um, Samuel and how, you know, he tended the fire. He tended the, the lamps in Shiloh. But you study about what the people understood that happened in Shiloh. The lack of, of breakthrough words, um, the, the debauchery that was going on. That place became a place where people were supposed to come to celebrate the victories of the Lord, the place of peace. But they would basically come and emulate what happened in the, the temples of the demonic 
Many of them would get drunk. They would engage in debauchery. Eli's own sons did this, which is why it was so quick for Eli to think that Hannah, the mother of Samuel, was drunk when she was expressing something in supplication before the Lord. That went on there. He said, oh, I don't know how that could be. Well, what made those knuckleheads think that when Benjamin and Belial escaped to Rock Rimmon, that, oh yeah, when we have this big celebration, this big <clears throat> Hebrew Mardi Gras parade and the, the virgin daughters are dancing, we'll just let these bozos come down off that rock and steal all of our young girls at Shiloh. This place was more than just Ichabod. <laughs> it became the commemoration of that. But it was a long train coming to get to that point. So if you're not real careful, uh, you, can, you can lose the fire of the Lord. The five foolish virgins depict that. But on the other hand, you can go the other way. And so you can be a wise sage and say, well, we're not going to have any of that. Or you can walk the fine line on the wild side and say, we want to be able to let God be God. And if there's somebody who is really insane, you got to reel them in and you hope that the people who are just moved upon by manifestation don't think that you're crushing old, old sister Petunia who's just feeling the Lord. It's a fine line, believe me. And, and again, I've talked about this in the past. I remember the privilege that I had that I know was ordained of God just as a sophomore in Bible college to have to chronicle, to be given the job of chronicling correspondence that was submitted to the original headquarters of that movement and to read some of those letters that were written by the pastors talking about what was going on in their churches and the various things, manifestations that were happening asking for wisdom as to what to do and not snuffing out the things of the Spirit, but yet doing their best to control, to have a guiding hand as opposed to a controlling hand. This is halal. This is, this is what the Bible speaks about. And this is, if the enemy, and then the Bible calls him halal, Lucifer, the enemy knows this, and he sure knows how to pervert it. Um, I remember one time there was a woman who said that, oh, I better not go there. there, there this, this is a really strange scenario, and it takes different forms in countries like Brazil. It's the same framework but it takes different forms in other societies. I remember when we were in Africa, in Uganda, and in Ghana, and in uh, Benin, uh, and, and in South Africa. I wasn't in Togo, but we have a wonderful sister who's from Togo, a devoted intercession here. She was with a team that went in from this house to Togo, back to her homeland. Um, the, the way the enemy manipulates this halal fa factor in those societies 
is different than what he does in the South American society. There was even a difference between what happened in equatorial Africa and and, and in Nigeria. We saw this with our brother Faladin in Nigeria. And, and what happened in South Africa. Very different. Very different ways the enemy tried to um, hijack this halal capacity. Um, now, we're back to, you thought I was never going to get back to Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. Here, halal is kind of part of that uh, receptacle kind of a variation of, of halal. But it means to bore, to make an instrument of praise. Our Lord was wounded for our transgressions, for the ways that humanity had forged its own path. Transgression, going, blazing a trail into places that you were not ordained or commissioned to go into. So Jesus showed how to be the true vessel. Are you staying with me here? How to create something that would be fashioned to facilitate the breath of the Lord, the facilitation of the Spirit of God in obedience to God's direction. I think that's wonderful. He was bruised for our iniquities. Here, bruise is an operative word that means to make contrite. It's not the word for contrite, but it means to crush something into a measure of contrition for our iniquities. Areas where we allowed our purpose to become twisted, because that's what iniquity is. Iniquity was found in Hillel, in the enemy. So somehow this halal capacity, expressing yourself in open devotion and obedience to God, somehow the enemy went his own path and created a measure of transgression. And then instead of being contrite before the Lord, he welcomed a perversion of purpose in himself and in the mission and that was iniquity. Does that make sense? So the answer for iniquity there is to become contrite. If you're having challenges, whether you admit it or not, in fulfilling what God created you to be, contrition is your answer. Not that it's of works, but you know, the Lord gave himself for you, but you've got to give yourself for him. It's not a rubber stamp. Bingo, you're in heaven. You walk down the altar area, shook the preacher's hand, and now, bless God, you're there. Preacher said that all my sins were washed away. I footnote, oh, brother, where art thou? Well, I've never seen that. Well, God bless those of you who haven't. It's a funny movie. Um, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Now, chastisement of our peace was upon him. Chastisement here it comes from a word musar 
And this is a twin of yasar. Now, yasar means to teach, to point the finger, to shoot the arrow. We've studied about that. Musar is a corrective measure where yasar has been abandoned or ignored. Not so much that it wasn't known, but that it had been abandoned, ignored, or misused. So, yasar, to teach, to point the finger, to instruct, the lightning dare, as I say. Um, yasar, we've taught about that. It's teaching. Musar is a corrective measure of that. So, the chastisement of how we are to accept the mission from God in Shalom, to go forth, to accomplish the mission, and to come back. God is training us for that mission. And if we fail to accept those teachings that God is making available, maybe we've just shut off and, oh, I don't understand it, I can't study it. Boy. The things we allow ourselves to do with the things of spirit that we would not allow our children to do in school amazes me, amazes me. I, I have never understood why some kids just ignore the public shame of failing. <laughs> I mean, when I was in school, when I was in grade school, um, I did not want to be that kid that was embarrassed in class. There was just something in me that, it wasn't pride, it was just maybe shame. We talked about that on Sunday. I, I wanted to learn. There were some subjects that I really had an interest in. Others that I could care less about, but I applied my short-term memory to learn them because I didn't want to fail. Yasar, teaching. God is the teacher. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. And if you, for whatever reason, are not willing to study to show yourself approved, to learn, then Musar comes into play. So what's the end result? So that God can trust us with his mission and so that we can work with the, the Prince of Peace. Now, some would say, well, Pastor, is Musar synonymous with what the book of Hebrews speaks about? where every child that God loves, he chastens. Yeah, it's the, it's the very same principle. It's not God being cruel. The purpose is not necessarily to discipline. There are other words for that. There's an accountability. There's a price to pay. Don't, don't uh, miss my point here. But this isn't discipline for punishment's sake. This is corrective measures so that the yasar, the teaching, will be embraced. You know, understandably, there are some folks that have difficulty grasping things. And 
I, I know if, if it was to be really true, if we were all to acknowledge truth, anything that God brings to us spiritually is a gift. And sometimes it's very plain, but other times you have to study to really grasp it and go over it, meditate upon it to get it. And, and I know that some people catch things right away. Others, you've got to devote yourself. But and I'm not, again, now I've heard some people say, well, I just keep failing and God brings these difficult things to me. And one day I finally said, okay, I'll learn. I've heard that message. And, and if you're not careful, that can become a lifestyle for some. It's a badge of honor. I've heard preachers preach on this. It's not a gospel of works. It's a gospel of punishment. God doesn't take any pleasure in that. You know, I've seen some parents who are just kind of mean with their kids. They, in, When the kid does something good, the parent kind of acts like they didn't do something good or they, they're just mean-spirited with them. You know, if some kid has a breakthrough, you applaud. You say, that's great. And, and if a kid doesn't have a breakthrough, you don't applaud anyway. So it's like when you give trophies to all the kids that participate. Well, at what point does equity replace excellence? I mean, you know, you, you learn how to compete. Failure teaches you. And if you think that, oh, I'll just do what I can, that's third world country. It's not white privilege, it's capitalism. And, and you know, invention comes from that kind of mindset. And it has nothing to do with the color of skin. You know, you talk to, uh, uh, you talk, you, you, you discover the great biographies of inventors, uh, people who discover things. Um, and you see what types of things they go through to perfect um, what what they what they're wanting to um, bring about. They may not know exactly um, they may not know exactly what's coming, but they know that um, that there's something beyond. Um, what they're wanting to bring about, what they're wanting to invent, and what um, what has yet to be invented, and um, that happens with every every nation, every color, and um, I um, I'm grateful for that, and that's certainly what built America. But, you know, the chastisement was Jesus paying a price for the ways that people failed to grasp the things, whether through their ignorance or through their willful disregard of what God was teaching. Somehow, he took upon him the chastening of the Father for the purpose of making it possible for us to understand and to be entrusted 
with the deeper measures of partnership with God. I, I, that's a, this is an area that really needs to be developed more fully in our understanding. And then it says, by his stripes we are healed. His stripes, we've taught about this again. I hate to keep saying that, but for some of you hearing this for the first time, this is a saint's Bible study. So we're relying on our people to have some understanding of what over the decades we've understood together. So stripes here, habura, is is also used to describe the blueness of a wound that cleanses away evil. It's a natural measure of healing and the fighting of infection and the taking away of, of tissue that is damaged or has died. The same root family speaks about Hebron, where there was a gathering of those uh, who would come together to hear what God wanted to anoint kings, the place where giants ruled. Caleb takes that place under the directive of the Spirit at 80 years old, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement of our peace upon him, and his stripes bring Rafa, healing. Rafa is such a big group of understandings. Yes, it's physical healing, but mainly it is a restoration of what God intended, how God originally created something to be. And if you study it, which we have, it goes beyond the physical body, it goes into circumstances, it goes into the land, and it even addresses what the people understood to be gateways into the spirit realm. The place where giants were. The place that reached across from this life into the next to welcome the kingdom. By his coming together with us, by our coming together with him, by our taking a stand in the measure where God has asked us to serve where perhaps the enemy has inflicted a wounding spiritually and in any other way not just in people we 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 subjectivize everything to our physical frame which is going to pass away how ridiculous is that all of our focus in the church is usually about a body that is here today and as the grass withers it goes this is a spiritual framework into the heavens, into that capacity from heaven to where people can become mighty in God. So wonderful. So this fourfold progression here, he was wounded for our transgression as we slowly walk to get the, the juice and the bread, the cracker. wounded are you willing to submit yourself to become whatever God wants I mean to let go and let God are you willing to become contrite 
Are you willing to embrace what God is teaching and really know it? And are you willing to come together in the assignment of the Lord with brothers and sisters who are also called to that to see the kingdom come? Are you willing to say, I am I am not going to follow my own path. I'm going to follow the Lord's path. I'm, I'm not going to be twisted. I'm going to fulfill his purpose in me and in what he's calling me to be. I'm willing to partner in peace with the, uh, with the directive and the mission of God that's been entrusted to me. And, and I'm willing to access the kingdom and the spirit realm and to welcome it into the place where he is calling me to serve or my home base and wherever he would lead me. Those things were then culminated upon the cross, which was God's stake of ownership, his payment for everything. The histemes, whether they are within us, whether they're around us, wherever they are. You know, Pastor Fabian spoke a reminder of um, various extrapolations off of Hestemi in our recent Wisdom Seeker class. And, you know, I remember when we first wrote the cross in the Hestemi and we spoke about those variations and some people became excited about the cross being the stake of ownership for that, but then they'd say, oh, just... I don't, you know, where's the passion? You're studying all these variations. Well, it's the word. But, you know, what we have to recognize is that the histeme really indicates what God intends. What is the histem, histamine area of, of what that place or that person or that location is supposed to be accomplishing? You can get all the definitions in the world and lay them out there. But what does it really mean in that endemic point of histeme? It reminds me of a scene of a movie, A Few Good Men. I hate to be borrowing from these movies, but some of them are really instructive. And I won't go through the details of the plot, because I've already lost some of you. You shut off. It's not on the Elijah list, so you don't care. But Tom Cruise was an attorney, and he was defending a couple of Marines. Kevin Bacon was prosecuting them on behalf of the Marine Corps. Kevin Bacon took the Marine Code book and gave it to one of the young men that was uh, um, on the witness stand. And he said, would you show me in this code book where code red is? Well, you're not going to find it in there. Why not? Well, we just all know what it means. And so Bacon takes the book away, starts carrying it away, and Tom Cruise grabs the book out of his hands and takes it back up to the same young man. And Would you show me where the cafeteria is in this book? Well, it's not going to be in this book. Well, how do you know when to eat? You mean sure you don't know? Well, we just follow everybody else. We know where to go. The issue for us is we have to understand what's in that book. But we also have to understand how God operates in the place where he's called us to serve. 
what is the identity of that histeme? And Christ, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement of our peace, um, uh, and uh, by stripes being made whole. All of that made was made operative in every sense by the cross that paid for every measure of histemi. No matter who you are, no matter what age you're living in, no matter where you are in the spirit realm, no matter where God calls you to go, the histemi is going to be the same, but there are going to be variations because of the deposits of the glory. We have to be in the training point of our Lord. Verse 5, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement of our peace, by his stripes healed. And understand both factors, what Jesus sacrificed and how that applies to us, and what the objective was and how that applies to us. That's the, dare I say, the playbook. That's the code of order. And Christ paid the price on the cross. And we have authority, bought and paid for by our Lord, wherever he sends us. So we won't show up at some stripe place. And then we say, oh, can't come in here. We own this. No, 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 no. We've been sent by the Father with the cross. He's paid the price. So where are you in this? Do you remember how to abandon yourself to the Lord? And listen, okay, let, let me just be real honest with you. Sometimes, my even my own congregation think, oh, we've lost that. I was here. I was the pastor when this visitation came. I know what God was telling me. I know what I was feeling. I know what I was seeing. I knew what had to be done, whether people out in the back foyer didn't think I was doing it or not, to safeguard the purity of the Lord. Um, and then some of those old phrases we used to say, I'd rather burn out than flame out. I'd rather burn out than rust out. You know, all those old phrases. Um, but you, where are the majority of those people, not judging them, who had these amazing visitations? I dare say that somehow one of those four factors, or maybe a combination of uh, more than one or maybe all of them, somehow was overlooked in their life. And that visitation just as it was with the people of God in the Old Testament and how often it is in the people of God in the New Covenant, that visitation was lost. So it's not about just running from this visitation to that, oh, they've got all these young people over here, oh, boy, the Spirit, you can just walk in there and you feel it. Um, you know, you can chase that around all day long, but unless you allow God to do that in you, How's that been happening in your life? That's a question that only you can answer. This morning, I got up, you're used to me saying it, very early. 
I didn't sense an angel today. I wasn't in the midst of some intercessory uh, debate or anything of that nature, but I woke up and I felt the pull of the Spirit of God. I felt that. And I went and prayed. I've, I've learned to set my coffee maker before I go to bed so that when I get up, no matter when I get up, I just go push the button and then I go start praying and, you know, it's okay to have some coffee. <laughs> but how do you process that? Do you have to be around 15 other people who are shouting and hollering and vibrating and um, bobbing and weaving? Nothing wrong with that. Not faulting that. But if you have to have that to have an allow experience with God, you need to get, as they used to say, back on the wheel. And, and if you've had those experiences, you, when God's visitation actually comes and somebody's overwhelmed, your first should, response shouldn't be somebody needs to get a hold of that person or they're drunk or they're, they're in the flesh. Well, guess what? Anything you do when you're in this world it's going to be in the flesh. <laughs> it's true. Unless you can somehow take your spirit out of the flesh and stand alongside yourself. You, you're, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And guess what an earthen vessel is? It's the flesh. So, I love this passage. It's, it's been relegated to a, a tome uh, with organ playing and communion time. And, and and people often just interpret each of those phrases in that verse in whatever way suits their fancy. We as pneumaticos people, students of the word, need to adhere to what God is saying. Now, I know we, we still have a couple minutes left. Let's go back to this Musar, the Yasar, the teaching, and the Musar, the chastening and discipline. How does that happen? Does God cause bad things to happen to you? No. Usually for me, he will put me in a scenario that's going to test me. And then I remember and apply things that I've hid in my heart from the Word. Experience is a great teacher to do and to teach. Um, that's one way. Sometimes the Spirit will really be I don't want to say harsh but insistent with me that I, I didn't meditate enough on a certain theme or that I got so quick in taking the next points of meat that God reveals as a teacher, as a, as a pastor, bringing the apostolic message forward that I need to go back and revisit certain facets of it. Not that I got them wrong, but that I might see the cohesion between points, the synergy between the themes and within the themes. It's a Hebron almost in teaching.
And if you'll be sensitive to the Spirit, God, the, the main thing of chastening and chastisement is that you give proper attention to the things that God's been wanting to teach you, that he's tried to teach you. And to Jesus, where's examples of this? You're making it too hard, Pastor. Okay, you may not have these underlined in your Bible, but they're there anyway. Remember times where Jesus would use that old King James word to upbraid cities? Or he would sternly say to his disciples, how long do I have to be with you? He would say, did I not tell you this? Make sure you don't become like the Pharisees. Didn't you learn anything from the... Jesus would say that smiling, loving Jesus. He would say that to these men. Oh, but you don't know what I gave up. These men left their homes. They left their businesses to follow him and become disciples. Why is he being so mean to him? Because he needed him to learn. It's all there in the scripture. So, God, if he loves you, and he does, and he, he considers you a son, and he does, he's going to want to make sure you know what he's been teaching you. And there are many ways that that happens. Sometimes it's not pleasant. Oftentimes it's exasperating. But if you submit yourself to the Lord, not in, oh, woe is me, I'm just such a miserable old so-and-so. People are prone to go there. They miss their past experience. They miss the drawing of the Holy Spirit and they think God's whooping on them when he's drawing them. Do it this way. Remember what I said to you. Did I not teach you? You have a hardness of heart. You need to allow yourself to become circumcised in your spirit. Directives for contrition and submission to the end that the asar is understood. And you may not, and you won't understand all of it. Sometimes people will read things that I wrote in the past and they'll say, well, you didn't talk, I won't imitate anybody. You didn't talk about this. Why didn't you talk about that? Because there will never be an end to what the living word is going to continue to show. Our objective was to say, this is that. This is what this means. It's a definition. Keep this strong within your heart and let God expand upon it. The extrapolations out from it, the applications out from it of those formula of the scripture is what we must do. So, <sighs> thanks for letting me talk about the word today with you. I'm sorry I didn't have any of you hooting and hollering and jumping up and down, waving, waving your hanky. It's too hot for that here in Texas today. As long as your spirit is doing that. Because this is the word of the Lord. So once again, 
Some of you are going to listen to this on Thursday morning. The boat will already have sailed. But if any of you hear this in the afternoon, remember that we're praying tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll look forward to seeing you then. We give all praise to our Lord for his sacrifice. Reread Isaiah 53 and enjoy that fifth verse. Till next time, God bless and goodbye. <laughs>